It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Brandon and I are talking about the shoulder, specifically shoulder impingement. Talk a little bit about what that is, what it means, some possible structures that may or may not be involved. Brandon talks a little bit about how he evals a patient that comes in with shoulder pain. We talk a little bit about potential treatment strategies. Again, there is no one-size-fits-all approach, so Brandon gives some guidelines. And then I talk a little bit about what we can do as coaches if an athlete comes to you with shoulder pain to keep that athlete in the gym and keep them moving and being productive. If you haven't already, please go and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy today's episode. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Brandon and I are going back into the clinic a little bit to talk about subacromial impingement syndrome. Uh, that's just a fancy name that you might hear uh, for swimmer's shoulder or thrower's shoulder or any number of things. And we're talking about this space. It's called a subacromial space. And Brandon, if you could, please, can you kind of tell the listeners a little bit kind of what is this subacromial impingement syndrome or this, this term, you know, shoulder impingement? Yeah, so you know, shoulder impingement. It's it's such a broad blanket term, and it really it really encompasses any type of shoulder pain. And you can make an argument that any type of shoulder pathology is going to have some type of impingement component to it. And I, I kind of think it's uh, very similar, analogous to the way that we talk about patellofemoral pain with knee pain. Again, another broad blanket term. Um, it's just a quick and easy diagnosis that's not technically wrong, but maybe not completely right either. But either way, it doesn't determine what you do from a treatment perspective, and you know, what the impingement refers to, and I know, I know this is a very structural explanation for all the pain science nerds out there. I'm one too, don't worry. Um, it refers to the structures that are basically getting squished in the subacromial space. So for those of you who don't have anatomy background, the acromion is the A, an AC joint, and it's basically the bump that you feel on the top of your shoulder. And the top of that bump, think of it like the roof of your shoulder, and the undersurface of that is the ceiling. So what runs in that space under the ceiling are three main structures. You got the supraspinatus tendon, which is one of your rotator cuff muscles, the long head of the biceps tendon, and a bursa sac. And, and really and truly, there really isn't much space there. Um, it, it might be a misnomer, but you know, that, that's semantics. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, really one or more uh, of these structures can get impinged for several reasons. And again, this is structural, but some of the classic theories are the balance between the rotator cuff and the deltoid. So meaning that the rotator cuff muscles they're supposed to contract as a whole. That's, that's a group of four muscles that pull the head of the humerus down and open up that space while the deltoid pulls it up. 
And so basically those two things have to work against each other all day. So maybe if that's the issue, the solution is to strengthen some of the cuff musculature. Uh, other theories are positioning. So if you have really crappy mobility and you're slouched or maybe your shoulders are rounded because say you've been working at a desk for 20 years and then all of a sudden you decide to start pressing overhead for the first time in your life, things might get irritated because you don't have the necessary mobility or the hardware to do that activity. Uh, but you might be able to get that back. We'll talk about that later as well. Um, other things can include mechanics. So perhaps you're good in the mobility department. Maybe you just need to tweak or correct the way that you set up or execute a movement. And that's where I know good coaching can come in. It's, I know from experience, it's really nice when Josh can just cue a correct movement and the pain goes away. Um, but those would be examples of secondary impingement. There's also primary impingement. I know I'm rambling here a little bit, but that includes things like a type 3 acromion. So if you've ever Googled that before, that's where that bone is hooked. And that part of that hook sort of irritates some of the tissues around it. And then there's one more type called internal impingement. You see this a lot in throwers where there's a lot of like laxity and instability from the pieces with um, you know, overhead athletes where the, the humeral head kind of slides forward and that smashes against the kind of the posterior superior aspect of the glenoid rim. And that's also where the labrum can get squished too. So that's, I uh, hope I didn't get into the weeds too much with anatomy there, but that's kind of the best way to explain what impingement is. No, that was great, man. I, I have to, you know, agree with you in that, you know, this is something that as a coach, we see, a, we see a lot of, or we see a lot of shoulder pain and low back pain. That seems to be in the CrossFit gym. Um, that's what people end up coming to me and say, Hey, oh, my shoulder hurts. Most of the time they've, they've hit WebMV, they've hit the Googles and they've, uh, they, they've diagnosed themselves with shoulder impingement. Um, a lot of times when they come to me, um, are already, which is always funny. Um, but, um, I want to kind of take the listeners kind of through, you know, if someone comes to you and they're getting pain, um, you know, in their shoulder, mainly, you know, with movement specifically say they're when they're pressing overhead, because that's at least what I see the most is somebody when they're doing a movement, and they're, they're trying to go overhead with the barbell, like you said, for the first time, they say they're newer to CrossFit and CrossFit does have a lot of overhead work, um, or whatever it might be reaching overhead, even that's their occupation doing it over and over and they have problem reaching overhead. Um, and they come to you with this pain, a shoulder pain. Can you talk through again, uh, kind of a blanket, um, uh, just very generic way that how are you going to exam? And then how are you going to start treating this? Um, uh, in, in the clinic, I know, again, it's not going to be a cookbook approach, but uh, can you give us at least a, a little bit of an example? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, there is no cookbook recipe. Um, I, I don't examine the, uh, the same way with two patients coming to the door and, and neither do I treat um, the same way with people that come in. Everything's very individual, but you know, these are things that I typically see with most people with this type of condition, things that I usually look for. So, you know, Usually the first thing I'm going to actually do is start with palpation and that's where I'm actually going to try to locate where the pain is. And honestly, that's where I start with most people that come to my clinic because yes, it's helpful to locate the pain and kind of know where they're hurting, but it's just really mainly important for patient buy-in. I mean, there's this whole laying of hands effect that seems to be important with the patient. Um, it shows them you're actually invested in helping them with their specific complaint or their needs. And then from there, if it's appropriate, I like to get the 30,000 foot view and watch them perform whatever movement is causing problems. So like you said, if it's pressing a weight overhead or maybe it's throwing a baseball and, you know, maybe at least look at some film of it just to kind of get a better idea. Um, I actually like to talk about programming as well. So um, asking questions like, are they getting enough pulling to counteract pressing? Or how much have they been throwing if they're a baseball player? And another thing I'm looking for is acute spikes in their workload. So if this is a, if this is a fresh injury, what have they been doing the past week compared to maybe the previous four weeks? And if it's a really big jump, that might be a problem. Um, after that, uh, you know, I know you hear this the first day of ortho class, but you want to make sure that you clear the C-spine. I mean, it's very common that the neck can refer to the shoulder and mimic shoulder impingement. 
And honestly, a lot of times the patient will have both. They'll have shoulder impingement and cervical radiculopathy. So make sure you don't forget that. Um, that, that rule still holds true in the clinic. Um, from there, you're usually going to look at mobility, range of motion. So most people, I'm actually going to do the top tier SFMA, but you don't have to do that. You know, you at least want to look at mobility of the thoracic spine and check active and passive range of motion at the shoulder girdle in every plane. Um, so that's kind of like the, the, I guess the big picture, and we can kind of get into a little bit more specifically if you want to about kind of what, what some things that I see from there. No, I think that's great. So um, say, okay, you come in through this and you do think, okay, it's one of those structures in that space is, is you know, being squished. And that's, you know, say it is more of a structural, again, we're, we're kind of um, not looking into the pain science view of this, uh, but like mm -hmm. say that there is a structural issue to this specific example. And it's, well, uh, it is what you thought it was going to be. And it's, it is kind of something, you know, being squished in that area. Where are you going to start with some treatment here? Yeah. Let, let, let me back up just a little bit though. Um, okay. So I was just thinking, I think there are some patterns that I see usually people come in. So, okay. you know, when they come in, mentioned earlier, you want to check T-spine mobility. Um, there's several ways to check that. Um, one of the most common ones is to look at the lumbar lock thoracic rotation. That's part of that SMA stuff. And you can just Google what that is. And, you know, I'm essentially looking for somewhere around 45 to 50 degrees of rotation on each side. If it hurts overhead, you want to see if they have ample shoulder flexion mobility. So, you know, have them reach overhead, have them lay on their back or sit up against a wall and reach overhead and see if they have 180 degrees. You also want to recheck that with their hips flexed at 90 because it's going to tension the lats and then see if that changes. You know, if they lose range of motion, that's indicative that maybe they have some soft tissue restrictions. Um, we're also going to look at internal and external rotation. So uh, usually what I find with this is that a lot of times they're lacking internal rotation. Um, on the affected side. And that's kind of putting them a little bit more of a pinched position. You'll oftentimes see like, you know, whether you're checking it with having to reach behind their back or you got them laying on, laying down on their back, doing a 90-90. So that's, that shoulder is going to start to dump forward as compared to the other side. And um, I, I don't know what you guys are getting about orthopedic special tests in school. I mean, I know you're my student. We talked about it, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, a lot of times that they're, they're pretty much useless in isolation. And um, you know, Hawkins Kennedy and near, they seem to get a lot of hate lately on social media, but I will use those. I'll use those and I'll use it because and it might not be just to you know use it as a diagnostic criteria, but it can be a really nice irritability test. So you know, check it on both sides. Because um, I, I think that you could—I don't know anybody that doesn't have a positive Hawkins Kennedy test, you know, myself included. But you can check it on the affected side versus the unaffected side, and that can give you a little information about how irritable they are. So you know, maybe if you need to get that internal rotation back, are you sure you want to crank on it really hard on day one? Right. Kind of go from there. You got any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think, uh, so we are, you know, taught that, you know, special tests sometimes aren't that special, um, but right. we do, you know, we are, you know, exposed to them and the literature um, on them, but I think our, our professors do a great job of explaining kind of the entire picture and saying these things can be useful in certain ways and they're not the end all be all. Um, so, right, if you have a nice little battery that you can put through there, you can use that to help um, give you an idea of where to go next. So, um, you know, those, yeah, pain, you know, painful R, Hawkins Kennedy, knee or whatever you want to do there. Um, I think can be useful. Um, but again, a positive or a negative on that doesn't necessarily mean what we'd like it to be. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's, and, and also, you know, it's very similar to manual muscle testing. I will do manual muscle, muscle testing, um, but we know it has very, very poor reliability. And, you know, with a really hot shoulder, someone that's just got a lot of pain, they don't really want you touching it. You might not really, they might not be a good tester because it hurts so bad. They're not going to give you a very good, you know, answer to that test, but we'll still check it. We are still going to look for, um, you know, major side to side differences. And again, it can tell you about their irritability and help you decide what you're going to do on day one.
Right. And I know uh, you had mentioned this a little bit when you were describing a potential cause uh, for this pain, uh, being kind of the relationship between rotator cuff and deltoid as they work. Uh, so I know uh, one of your bread and butters is to make sure to address the rotator cuff and rotator cuff strength. So uh, can you get into that a little bit and then um, possibly some other treatment uh, techniques you might use for somebody in this situation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, just like the exam, you know, I don't, I don't do the same stuff for any two patients, but what I, what I, do decide to ultimately implement the clinic has to fit the application. So if they are a CrossFit athlete, we have to, you know, we have to look at what the terminal task is going to be. If we're going to need to be able to press overhead, that's what we're shooting for. Um, but typical day one stuff, no matter whether they're just general population or CrossFitter, I am usually going to do, I'm usually going to start at the spine. So usually the thoracic spine. Having said that, I will oftentimes crack the neck because, you know, there is some, some evidence that suggests that if you can crack someone's you know, cervical spine, it may increase their pain pressure threshold at the shoulder. So basically take the edge off. So why not do it? It takes two seconds. Um, we'll definitely crack the thoracic spine if we're trying to improve extension, but that's not going to be enough. I usually will come back and mobilize it as well. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. It's just, you know, you're cracking, it feels nice and that'll get it loose to a degree, but it's really not going to improve that extension. You actually have to put some time into it. So that could be, you know, doing things like, as simple as extending over a foam roller or, you know, doing various prayer stretches against the bench, you know, with hands behind your head on a PVC. I mean, there's a million of them out there. You can, you can look those up on YouTube. Um, so after I approach the C-spine and T-spine, I will also spend some time working on the glenohumeral joint. So I'll do some, just some basic Maitland mobilizations, to, uh, usually inferior, usually posterior lateral, and generally follow that with some passive range of motion. I don't spend a ton of time on it, but I do think it's helpful. Um, if it was determined that they have any, any soft tissue restrictions, you know, we might be doing some soft tissue work at the lats or at the teres. Um, I personally like doing pin and stretch techniques, usually having them lay on their stomach and doing basically like a prone Y while I'm either scraping or pinning down the tissue or doing something to that, depending on what their needs are. Um, and then we are usually going to follow that up with some kind of um, mobility work they're doing themselves. And that could be, you know, as simple as doing dowel flexion. So having them lay on their back with a dowel or a PVC and just going, raising it overhead. Um, and, we, and sometimes we'll add weight to that, you know, two and a half or a five pound plate. We'll just throw one right around the PVC and we'll do a combination of having to do that with, you know, palms down, palms up um, to make sure we're targeting lats. Um, there's a million ways to do that. You can get aggressive with it. Um, after targeting mobility, though, I'm usually going to introduce some load. So if it's a super hot shoulder and they could, barely tolerate me touching it or muscle test, we might just start with isometrics. There's a lot of different ways to do that, but we know that isometrics are a good way to introduce some load. It also has a really nice analgesic effect. Um, but I try to get them straight into moving straight into isotonic. So we're usually going to start with some table stuff. You know, we've got a series called the sideline trio. So I'm going to have them lay down on their unaffected side. They're going to be doing sideline external rotation, sideline horizontal abduction abduction, sideline flexion. Um, usually within that, I'm going to try to introduce some rhythmic stabilization. So, you know, maybe if they're doing a set of 12, I might have them, you know, hold position on the sixth rep. And I'm going to push and pull at their hand and have them, you know, hold strong. Don't let me move you, that kind of thing. Um, if it's appropriate, we'll do some prone wise, that kind of thing. Um, and then typically on day one, I'm actually introducing farmer's walks um, for a couple reasons, because, you know, when someone's arm is down by their side, they're not going to impinge anything. They're, it's very hard to hurt somebody with that. Um, so you can, you can give them, you know, a fairly heavy weight and, um, you know, it sort of em empowers them, makes them realize that they're not as fragile as they thought they were. 
not only are they, you know, loading everything around that shoulder girdle, but they're also getting this really nice traction force as well. So it gives a little bit of distraction to sort of help open up that space, you know, if you believe in that kind of thing too. But most of the time it actually feels better after you do that. So yeah, that that's day one stuff, basically. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, again, I love that, you know, um, how extensive that is. And you gave, uh, you mentioned giving them something to do on their own immediately in terms of a, a, you know, like a mobilization piece, getting them loaded right away. Um, I think everybody's afraid just cause they, you know, the shoulder comes in, you know, and it's pretty hot, it's pretty acute, um, afraid to load it in some way. I love that. Uh, there's some load introduced there. Um, but for me, from a coaching perspective, I know you had mentioned a lot of times there could be a cue or there could be something um, that could be at least modified to where you can keep them in the gym. Because especially, you know, again, the population that we're referring to a lot um, are CrossFitters. Um, you telling a CrossFitter they can't do something is going to be tough. You're tough to get by in there. So um, for me, if you're a coach or a PT or a, you know anybody working with this person, they come up to you with some kind of issue like this. It's finding some kind of you know pushing and pulling they can do pain free. It's finding uh, you know from you know arm by their side to arm overhead. There is going to be somewhere along that arc where they can do something pushing and pulling or holding or carrying, like you said, that is pain-free um, and might actually make it feel better. So um, for me, I want, you know, if someone comes to me with this, um, whether they've seen a PT or not, you know, if you're just a coach and, and, and they come to you like, Hey, it's hurting when I go overhead. I want to figure out, well, where along the arc can they push and pull without pain? Is it, can they go, you know, horizontal pushing, pulling? So I kind of turn a shoulder press into a, uh, a dumbbell bench press, or can I turn a pull up into a ring row? Um, or we've talked about using landmines before on this landmines are great for this, where you introduce pushing in a different, uh, a different plane uh, that might be a way for them again to still get some pushing and pulling in um, in a non-painful uh, situation uh, i also like scrape the rack presses if you've never seen that it's where you're um you're up against two uprights um, in a rig um, and you have a barbell pvc whatever it might be and you are a little bit behind it and you're pressing this dowel or barbell into the rack make sure your gym uh, is going to let you do this you don't scrape up the bar or the rack but um, you're actually pressing up and it keeps you from going into full shoulder flexion because you are behind uh, behind the uprights and you're actually pressing up and into it Um, and i found that you can you know get up to um you know, that helps facilitate getting into more shoulder flexion and having that slight um, like press into the rack seems to be very beneficial. Um, so I'm going to kind of find, see if I can find a variation there that's going to allow them to still be able to press or, or pull. Um, similarly, I'm going to, as you said, watch them move. So um, that's arguably number one. They come in, I want to watch them do um, what they say hurts. If they say it goes overhead and we had a dumbbell movement that day, uh, say a dumbbell snatch, which is really common in CrossFit nowadays, um, or a barbell snatch, something like that. I want to see them actually go overhead. And when they go overhead, I want to look at that position. Um, Cause oftentimes when I see somebody that tells me they have pain, I watch them move. Um, they're often in a, either a internally rotated position when they get up overhead, or as you said, their shoulder kind of dumps forward a little bit. And that could be related um, to, um, just, you know, mechanics, or it could be kind of their natural position from working at a desk for, for however many years. Um, they end up in this kind of closed down position. So uh, a lot of times if it's with a barbell, I can give them a dumbbell and cue that external rotation and they can press overhead without pain. Um, or if they're doing a dumbbell snatch and they're finishing with their thumb almost forward, getting them to finish with their thumb back. Sometimes it's as little as that is able to have, allow them to move without pain. And that's a huge thing is in addition to them seeing the right, um, right person to help them, you know, like the right PT to help them is uh, when you're in the gym, if you're a coach and you're working with them is keeping them in the gym and finding that variation or adjusting their movement to where they can continue to still work um, without, you know, making it any worse and allowing it time to get better. Yeah, I, I totally agree with those points. I mean, it's, 
it's so important to um, know how to help these clients and these patients be able to train around the injury because, you know, having them sit on the shelf and just rest is actually detrimental. It actually slows down the recovery process. There's no reason to do that. Um, and just from a business standpoint, if you are a physical therapist trying to get in with your local CrossFit box, you need to be known as the guy that is going to help the CrossFit gym owners, CrossFit box owners retain members because, you know, ultimately, you know, I know we all want to do the right things for the right people and have an altruistic attitude, but when you can actually, you know, talk about it from a financial standpoint, you know, their ears are going to perk a little more and they're going to listen up. So that's a really good way to get on their side because we're all playing for the same team. Um, the other, one of the other things I wanted to mention though, too, and just kind of piggyback off of what you're saying is, you know, I, I, I was just, you know, thinking as you were talking, I, I literally have hundreds of, you know, variations of shoulder exercises I've used in the over the years, right. but arching theme, if someone has shoulder impingement and they can't press overhead because it hurts, you know, yes, we are going to be doing some, you know, rotator cuff work, but we are going to be introducing compound work as quickly as we can and start horizontal, make sure that's good to go and get as vertical as we can, you know, as quick as we can. So, you know, while, you know, my patients are, you know, in between sessions training with you or and staying within those limitations, you know, we're, we're also getting after in the clinic too. So, you know, we might be starting out with doing, you know, some push-ups and pulling. And by the way, you know, most of what I do, I spend a lot more time pulling in the clinic, it seems, than pushing, but we definitely do both. You know, we're doing a lot of things with um, bottoms-up kettlebells or, you know, with bands tied around barbells to try to work on creating dynamic stability to make sure that we're, you know, good to go in multiple planes and that we also can react to perturbations and things like that. Um, the landmine's a great way to bridge the gap between uh, horizontal and vertical. And then, you know, when we can get to vertical and they can press overhead, I still like to stay there for a little bit longer. And, you know, usually I have this rule that I'm going to have them stay in the strict environment just for a little bit. It might be as little as a week. So basically strict pressing before they get back into push pressing or push jerking. Same thing with handstands, you know, you know strict handstand push-ups before we introduce kipping. Um, just, just err on side caution, make sure that they don't just, you know, re-irritate this thing. And that's, that's usually, you know, my overarching theme for most people that come up with this, but there's, you know, a bunch of different ways to get down that same road. Yeah. And I love what you mentioned that you mentioned you're not just pushing, you're pulling and that you're arguably doing more pulling than pushing. And it gets back to what you mentioned early on when you're going to evaluate somebody's program when they come in um, for that acute chronic workload, as we kind of mentioned, that's a great thing. If you haven't um, kind of, looked into that as a practitioner, a higher level coach, um, look into that acute chronic workload. I think that's some great work out there. Um, but also, um, looking at the, the volume of pushing versus the volume of pulling. And I, I am very much of, of the belief that it should be much, uh, you know, leaning heavily towards the pull side. Um, it's hard to give an exact number. Some people say two to one, some people say three to one. Um, you should pull, you push. Um, there's probably people that think even more than that. Um, but there is definitely, I don't think anyone that's going to argue you shouldn't be pulling at least as much as you're pushing. Um, and, and most likely you're going to need to be pulling much more than you're pushing. So that means uh, if you're doing a, um, you know, bench press, your, your bench press on Monday, because international chest day, you got to bench press tomorrow. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, the day this episode comes out, most people are probably going to bench press. Um, but maybe not even on that same day, but I like to sometimes pair, you know, pushing and pulling together on, on similar days. Um, or, uh, you know, if it's an upper body or lower body split, whatever it might be, um, you probably should have some pulling, um, at, you know, at least the same, uh, you know, volume of work, um, but if not more, or multiple exercises for everyone. So if you're going to say do a, a bench press that day and another accessory pushing mo uh, movement, say like a, a dumbbell piece, and then doing uh, maybe some tricep work, some tricep extensions, pairing with that, or at least during the week, if not on that same day, um, 
prone rows, bent over rows, dumbbell, barbell, whatever variation you want, weighted pull-ups, lat pull-down, whatever it is that, um, that you want to do from a vertical pulling standpoint. Uh, you have to be putting those things in. Um, so if your program doesn't include that and you want help with that, you know, that's where you, you might want to seek out somebody that can help guide you on that. Um, or you know, there's some great resources online that can help you with that. What uh, resources do you like? Uh, I got I believe, a few. Uh, I believe carolinaperformancetraining.com. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, shameless plug. Um, but no, there are some great, I mean, of course, our buddy Zach Long puts out some amazing stuff. Um, yeah. So I would go on to the Barbell Physio website and literally read anything that guy puts out. Um, uh, there are some other people out there that are just like that that do, um, that put out a lot of great free content, um, especially in this area. I'm looking at Mike Reinold and I'm looking at Eric Cressy, um, two guys that are kind of shoulder, shoulder specialists. Yes, they work mainly with baseball players, um, but uh, those guys put some unbelievable information out there uh, regarding the shoulder um, and a ton of research on this whole idea of, of, of pushing and pulling and things like that. So those are probably my three go-tos. Always Zach for pretty much everything. And then uh, for the shoulder, uh, Eric Cressy and Mike Reinold. Yep, those are, those are three out of my four. Zach Long was my number one. Uh, Mike Reinold, Eric Cressy. I also have Dave Tilly, so he's kind of like yeah. a spinoff of, of uh, Mike Reinold. I don't know if he'd appreciate me saying that, but um, <laughs> all those guys have good. And one other thing, too, I just wanted to mention is um, I've actually seen some stuff from Reinold and Cressy. You know, I respect the hell of those two guys, but neither one of them are fans of the sleeper stretch from what I've right. seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They improve internal rotation, and, and I, don't, I don't have a problem with that, um, that stretch at all. I mean, I, I use it quite a bit. Um, I definitely think there's, you know, just like anything else, there's a, there's a wrong way to do it. You know, you can, you can definitely, if you have someone like laying all the way down on their side on the window humeral, maybe it'll irritate it. But, you know, the thought that we are going to, you know, create damage to the shoulder um, by doing a sleeper stretch as compared to doing, you know, an aggressive, you know, kipping motion or, or clean and jerk. I, I can't really, uh, you know, wrap my head around that. And, you know, not to mention that the, the, in, the internal rotation that is required specifically for the snatch pull is very similar to what we get in with the sleeper stretch. So I think when it's done right, I don't think it's anything that needs to be feared. That's my yeah. opinion on it. That's, yeah, that's an interesting topic. You get, uh, of course, everybody on social media usually takes an extreme. Um, so, you know, they do, they have come out against it. Um, for me personally, uh, I've kind of moved away from doing, I used to do it to tell you the truth anecdotally. I did it every single day um, during my baseball career. Um, you know, every day before throwing, um, mainly just cause it felt good. Um, so I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but it felt good. Um, but uh, now I've kind of moved to when I'm trying to improve internal rotation, um, loading it a little bit so having somebody hold a one two two and a half up to maybe a five pound plate um, and maybe even more depending on what you get up to uh, plate while uh, supine arms say like a 90 90 position um, and then having them you know gradually kind of go into like a nice slow eccentric to end range internal rotation before without letting that shoulder start to dump forward um, and I've, I've kind of started to use that and then work on coordinating breathing with that and trying to extend range of motion that way that's you know that's just the way I've gone with it a little bit and I'll do the same thing with a um, like a dowel with a two and a half on there or a small plate um, if I want to work kind of bilateral because that kind of starts to put them as you mentioned in that in that position to snatch um, just focusing on you know maintaining that that good scapular position scapular position while they're going into it but um, yeah I think everything when done correctly it, you know if it's done correctly it's probably okay um, but you know I think a lot of people just do it incorrectly and that might have been what they were trying to highlight totally agree yeah and it's it's not my go-to it's not the first thing I'm gonna you know it's not going to be our first intervention trying to improve internal rotation. A lot of times you can get it back just by focusing on shoulder extension and horizontal adduction. But if it's still being stubborn and you're trying to get that last little bit, I think it's, I think it's a good one just to, to keep in mind. Yeah, I think 
that horizontal adduction, adduction, um, that was something Kathy turned me on to. Uh, very, Kathy or not, our, our favorite professor. You know, we don't play favorites, but we love Kathy. Um, uh, early on in my first manual class, when we were doing some assessments on each other, and I lacked some severe internal rotation on my right side, my throwing side, um, as a lot of baseball players do. And, and she turned me on that horizontal adduction, and, and uh, that made some improvements in me. So I'm a believer now. Um, shout out to Kathy. <laughs> yeah, Kathy, Kathy is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hadn't seen her in a while. She's been out with the shooters. Yeah, she's actually, I think they're now, um, uh, this week coming up. Um, uh, I'm, I need to get her, uh, get a lit review to her actually. So hopefully she's not listening. Cause I need to probably yeah, be working on that. We got uh, a project coming up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I need, I need to get on that. Um, uh, yeah. So hopefully Kathy's not listening, but, uh, <laughs> no, no, Kathy's the best man. Um, uh, we're lucky again. We're, you know, our, our professors at USC, they're the, they're the best, man. We're maybe a little biased, but I'd put them up against anybody. Yeah, totally agree with that. Well, um, good deal, man. Well, I feel like we're, uh, we're circling the drain here. So, uh, well, good sign off, man. Yeah. Well, uh, first um, off, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't signed up for that IKN course coming up, Vertex PT Specialist, July 14th and 15th, you need to check that out. And if you want to learn more about that, you can always go back and listen to an episode that we did, uh, with those guys, uh, a few episodes ago. It was great. Um, I think it's going to be a great course. Check that out. Um, there is a student discount too. So listen to that episode and you might find that discount. Um, and then as always, if you haven't yet, please subscribe, please leave us a, a review five stars, preferably if possible. And then, and um, if you can, you know, you can leave a comment or a question there. It's a great way to give us topics to talk about. Um, and we really appreciate the feedback. Um, so make sure to check that out. If you want to find out more about me, go to carolinaperformancetraining.com or at Carolina or at CPT underscore strength. We'll find more about Brandon and Vertex. Go to at VertexPT or VertexPT.com. Of course, all the podcasts are also on betterfasterpodcast.com. And we are on Google Play. So check that out as well. Um, and then we will see you guys next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.